Today, we want to reflect on overcoming judgmental attitudes. Overcome judgmental attitudes. That is the main theme uh, from today's passage that St. Paul is uh, saying to the Romans. Judgmental attitudes destroy relationships and communities. And that's what was happening in this community that Paul was writing to. They were being threatened with division because of judgmental attitudes. Judgmental attitudes create divisions among people. Within families, groups of friends, in a community. So to live in peace and harmony with each other, I mean, that's in essence to live a good life. Because what is a good life without peaceful, harmonious, enriching relationships? So to have peace and harmony, we have to learn how to overcome judgmental attitudes. Judgmental attitudes make you see only the flaws in other people. You start defining other people based solely on those flaws. In, in, in essence, that's what they become. They become their flaws. So it gives you an excuse to see them as less than human, to treat them less than human. You look down on them because of their flaws. Judgmental attitudes are corrosive. They erode a sense of community and togetherness. They kill the spirit of those around you. Right? That's what judgmental attitudes does. It kills the spirit of those around you. But not only those around you, it kills your spirit too. When you have a judgmental attitude, you can't enjoy life. It takes over you. It darkens your outlook and it clouds the way you see other people. And it's like the only energy you get is from being more judgmental towards others. It's toxic. Judgmental attitude comes from a toxic heart. A heart that is not at peace. There's some great unease and disturbance in the judgmental heart. And when that disturbed heart gets triggered, it lashes out. It releases itself in judgment toward others. Something gets stirred up and it manifests in judgment. So the root of a judgmental attitude lies in our hearts. Jesus said, For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. And we should add to this in judgmental Attitudes come from the heart. A judgmental heart is always very uneasy. It is insecure. It is volatile. Its sense of well-being fluctuates wildly. 
The judgmental heart often feels very threatened. It fears uh, losing its standing. At the very core, the judgmental person is afraid that my life doesn't mean much, and my life is insignificant, that I don't matter, that I am not loved or lovable. So in order to feel like they matter, the judgmental person needs to justify themselves, justify their life, justify their existence, justify who they are to survive judgmental person becomes very self-righteous. You know, to be righteous means to live rightly, to have right standing. So the self-righteous person tries to feel better about themselves by convincing themselves that they are living rightly. To live rightly, I believe I have to check off these boxes, and so I've checked them off, so I am living a good life. I am living rightly. That's what a self-righteous person tries to do. There's no problem with trying to aspire to be better. I mean, that's, that's great. We should all do that. We should all try to seek to improve ourselves and get better. The problem with self-righteousness is that you are righteous only in relation to others. You are righteous only in relation to others. You feel better about yourself only in comparison with others. You do the right thing compared with someone who's doing the wrong thing. Self-righteousness elevates yourself by putting others down. It's a very volatile way to live. So your sense of well-being really depends on how down the other person is. Self-righteousness does not, cannot give you peace in your heart. You're always trying to verify that you are more right than the other. That was what's going on in this passage. Uh, those who eat meat, uh, we're okay, we're right. It doesn't matter. Uh, those who are abstaining, no, 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 we are right, you are wrong. You always have to verify that you are more right than the other party. You're always measuring yourself. Luke describes this story. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. The Pharisees stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. You see what's going on here, right? He's feeling righteous and good about himself by putting others down, by comparison with others. I'm sure most of you, you don't explicitly uh, say or pray these things, right? Like, that's so pompous. Who does that? But somewhere deep in our hearts and subconscious, I'm sure we think this way. My friends, when you have a judgmental heart, you can only feel better about yourself by 
putting others down. You can only be righteous by having people who are inferior to you. So the thing about self-righteousness is it always separates you from others. It separates you. And then by doing so, it does not make you happier. Self-righteousness is futile, and it cannot bring you peace. You can only find peace in your heart when it's not dependent on the approval or acceptance of others. You know, people's reactions and approvals, what they say, that will always vary by the circumstance, right? You start to do really well, people will praise you, say great things about you. If you do something really bad or wrong, you know, people will immediately start condemning you. If that's what you base your peace on, it'll fluctuate. It'll be like a roller coaster, like the behemoth of Canada's Wonderland. Our peace has to be consistent and reliable no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what people say. This peace is what St. Paul discovered. He found this peace not in his own righteousness. He had been trying so hard to be righteous, and he discovered that was self-righteousness, and he did not find peace in his self-righteousness. He found peace in the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is very different from self-righteousness. Self-righteousness separates you from others. It seeks to elevate yourself and puts others down. God's righteousness does not put other people down. He does not point out your flaws or condemn you. That is not God's righteousness. Rather, God overlooks our wrongdoings and shortcomings. God absorbs and takes on our weaknesses and failures. That is what Christ did on the cross. St. Paul even says, God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So self-righteousness, it comes from a place of fear or insecurity or a a need to assert yourself. God's righteousness, so God's right actions, they come from love. It comes from a very different place. God's righteousness comes from love. God acts rightly out of love for us. Self-righteousness, you establish it by separating yourself. God's righteousness works by bringing people together. God overlooks our wrongs in order to restore a right relationship with us. That's why he's willing to overlook it, so that we can be reconciled. So God's righteousness reconciles and brings together again. God's righteousness creates the possibility of a new beginning together. God's righteousness brings peace that removes hostility and judgmental attitudes.
the, the great, one of the greatest dangers of a judgmental attitude is that it blinds you. It blinds you to the brokenness inside of you that drives you to elevate yourself in the first place. It blinds you to the effects that your judgmental attitudes and actions are having on those around you. It blinds you to your arrogance and lack of empathy that keeps others down. This is why in our faith life, confession is such a central part of it. We ask God to shine a light on areas where we are doing wrong, to take away our blindness and reveal our sins so that we can confess, confess them and seek forgiveness. It's like requesting a spiritual x-ray from God who is our spiritual radiologist so that he can diagnose hidden tumors in our heart. Okay? That's what confession is. It's like a spiritual x-ray. We're asking God, as our spiritual radiologist, to take a look and find hidden tumors of your heart so we can bring it before God. This, that was the prayer of the psalmist. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. We need to ask this, especially for judgmental attitudes that lie deep in all of us. Now, the scariest part of an x-ray is finding something that you did not expect, right? It's not, it's, it's not easy to do. My friends, we see our sins not to feel guilty and ashamed. If that's where we end up, then it's counterproductive. It, it can ruin you if you see just how sinful you are. No, we see our sins so that we have the possibility of seeing the greater grace of God. When you see your sins clearly, the depth of them, and then you perceive a God who loves you and overlooks those sins and wants to embrace you and accept you regardless, that is a powerful healing force for your soul. It leads to the confession of how can it be that you, O oh God, would love someone like me? When we see the depths of our sin, it makes grace that much more wonderful and marvelous. That was the confession of St. Paul when he said, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. Our righteousness does not come from us checking off our boxes. It's not based on what we do. Our righteousness is based on believing that God does love me that much, enough to overlook and even take on my sins, wrongdoing, and failures. It comes from not believing conceptually with my head, but believing it in my gut and in my bones. Truly, so that I can walk out there knowing that I have a God who loves me. That's my assurance. That is our righteousness. 
That was St. Paul's great discovery that he articulates throughout the whole letter of Romans. We can never achieve that righteousness and the peace that comes from it just by our own effort. We have to believe that it is a God who accepts us and embraces us regardless. Grace affirms how precious you are in spite of all your flaws and weaknesses. I mean, this is the greatest gift. I, from the time we are born, for some reason, we just, our baseline is we do not feel good about ourselves. I don't know why that is, but even uh, Deb was sharing with me. One of the teachers was sharing with me. I guess I told who it is, but recently in the class, an exercise was to go around and ask the kids, so uh, what do you, what is one thing you really like about yourself? Or what is something that God has really, a gift God has given you? The sad thing is, most of those kids, they couldn't answer. Like, they're so young. How can you not, like, have any answer? This world makes us believe that uh, we, we need to prove ourselves to feel good about ourselves. But if we can have this belief that, no, I don't need to. God already loves me and has told me, declared how precious I am then we can walk with such freedom. Don't you think? We don't need to prove ourselves. We don't need to elevate ourselves and put others down. We can be confident just as we are. So every day, we need to root ourselves again and again in God's grace. Grace needs to flow into and through our lives. You know what? Grace, it opens our hearts. And then it makes room for others. See, in God's grace, you see how precious you are. And as that grace flows in your life, then you start seeing as well how precious other people are too. You start seeing how much God loves them as well in spite of their flaws and shortcomings. And my friends, that is the key to overcoming judgmental attitudes. To see how precious other people are. The key to overcoming judgmental attitudes is to see how precious other people are. When you see how precious they are, you make room for them. We still see their flaws. I mean, because I'm righteous by believing in God doesn't mean I'm a saint, doesn't mean I'm flawless, and same with other people. They are precious in God's eyes, but that doesn't mean they have no flaws. We still see the flaws. But now, they no longer trigger judgmental attitudes in us. We see their flaws, but instead of judgment and condemnation, if anything, we feel empathy and compassion. Because we know in ourselves that, that, my, that my distorted things that come out of my mouth, my actions, it's a result of some hurt in my own heart. It's the same thing with them. 
Whatever weird things get manifested from them, it comes from some sort of hurt in their heart too. So we feel empathy. We feel compassion. And instead of a judgmental attitude, we start to develop critical discernment. Yeah, we can see their flaws clearly. But now, it's more we're trying to see what effect is that having on our community or this group. And, and we seek wisdom with that critical discernment. Wisdom. How, what can I do to help uh, first minimize damage from, uh, from these things coming out of this person? So that's one thing we do. And then in love, we seek to help restore that person and that person's relationship with the community. God's righteousness is all about bringing together reconciliation. So when we live in God's grace, that is what we try to do. That is what Jesus did. There was a tax collector, Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, uh, and he became very rich by exploiting uh, people in his town. He was not a good guy. He was not a nice person. Jesus came by, and he did not condone what Zacchaeus did. He never said, oh, good man. However, instead of judging and condemning him, he invited himself over to his house. He singled him out and said, I want to come over to your house. I'm sure Zacchaeus was shocked. But by Jesus' actions and presence of grace, that grace changed something in Zacchaeus. It changed his heart. And in response to that grace, Zacchaeus basically gave all his money back to the town. It was reparations. But not just reparations, but his desire to repair his relationship with the community. God's grace and righteousness always leads us to seek repair and restoration and reconciliation. And this is what Jesus said about Zacchaeus. Today, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Jesus' ministry was to restore those who were judged to be unfit back into their community. That was his ministry. That's what he did by healing people. And this is the ministry that we too are called. Because there's too much judgment and condemnation in this world. You all know it. You all feel it around you, wherever we go. So many toxic environments, judgment, condemnation. Let us overcome judgmental attitudes. Create room for grace. In your life, be people who restore others back into community. May God be with you.